Welcome back to Two Beers, Please. I am Matthew Smith, joined as always with my friend and co-host, Yannick, here to talk with you all things sports and everything that's going on in the sports world. October winding down, sports sort of, kind of coming back to normal-ish schedules. I didn't even realize that like the NBA should kind of be on right now, but they're still determining their start date, Christmas Day kind of being like a centralized idea. Uh, good news for, uh, for for us from the NBA, Jan. Brooklyn, Steve Nash hiring his ex-head coach, Mike D'Antoni. Of course, Nash won both of his MB- MVPs under his tutelage from 2004 to 2008 with the Phoenix Suns. Huge, unexpected move. You know, I think we all kind of thought D'Antoni would, would either find a head coaching uh, job or maybe just wait till next year. Um, but he will be joining Nash, Nash. And they also locked up Ime Udoka to join the coaching staff, longtime Spurs assistant, spent last year with the Sixers. So good stuff for the Nets. And of course, Champions League campaign furthering along. College football attempting to march forward as Pac-12 starting play next weekend. While this weekend at West, will it be the final bout for Anderson Silva? And of course, as always, we will make our NFL picks. As you're listening, make sure you get on over to Facebook and like, follow the page. Make sure you get on Instagram and follow that page. It's two beers, please, underscore podcast. The Twitter, which is 2BP underscore podcast. Subscribe and review the show on Spotify, Apple Podcast, Anchor, anywhere that you're getting your podcast. I don't know if you get it somewhere else that we don't even know about. <laughs> if you're if you're pirating our episodes, I guess you know leave a review on on the pirating site. But uh, yeah, yeah, dude, you know, I'll give a, it to you for free. Yeah, <laughs> seriously. But leave a review. Let us know what you guys are, are liking or what you'd like to see from us or any sort of feedback. Feedback, we would absolutely appreciate that. Jan, I had to get on the spooky fact of the day with you because you know end of October. Halloween tomorrow and everything, I felt like it would be wrong to release an episode of this in like on Halloween and not have another spooky fact. So uh, our, our spooky fact is, is with our ad, our ad and our spooky fact brought to you by Necco Wafers. Um, when, you, when you want the most tasteless chalk-like candy in the world, go with Necco. Uh, and that's all I got. There's not even that much of a joke to say with Necco Wafers because they are, without Ooh. a doubt, the grossest candy in the world. And I also like when I looked them up, they were like they were defunct, but then they came back in May 2020. So I I don't know why, but the grossest candy of all time was like you know I think this pandemic, this economy, this is it's time to get back in the game and bring people circles of chalk to eat again. Yeah, I mean, what better time? People are desperate. They need something to hate that's not the pandemic. So it's the Necker wafers for me. It's the or maybe wa- maybe the Necker wafers is like. We're undervaluing like that in the the scale of how things are getting apocalyptic. Like we missed that uh, sign in May that like oh god things are things are not getting better. They're only getting worse. Yeah, Echo Wafers is back, and this this can only mean bad things for all of us. I mean, if coronavirus is one horseman of the apocalypse, Necco wafers is definitely another one. <laughs> <laughs> like those are two right there. <laughs> yeah. Famine, maybe. I maybe famine's better I for uh... famine. I think it's famine. Yeah. Uh, well, we appreciate Necco for um for, for being our our sponsor and for sponsoring the spooky fact. I kind of have a, a double fact. Um, the first one 
is the boring historical one. Uh, and this is that when uh, Pope Bona, Boniface or Boniface the Ninth established All Martyrs Day in 609, he dedicated the Pantheon uh, in home to honor the martyrs. Um, and then All Martyrs Day became All Souls Day. They moved it from May 13th to November 1st to, you know, try and convince the pagans to be Christians, all in that. But basically, the Pantheon is, in essence, a architectural celebration of Halloween. So um, I think we need to start, like, celebrating Halloween at the Pantheon more. But uh, that's a that's bucket the, list thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that'd be awesome. I actually, then I looked it up and I was like, well, maybe there is, like, I couldn't find anything if there was, but I didn't. I also didn't research, like, that hard, so... I didn't try Italian Google, so I'll go. I'll go on that one. But uh, the the Google. fun spooky fact of the day, and the one that that Neko certainly favors is one quarter of all candy sold annually in the United States is purchased for Halloween. One third. One fourth. One fourth. Still one fourth. Twenty five percent. Yeah, isn't that crazy? I mean, like you think about it, and it does make sense because, like. How many other times is everyone like households being like, hey, we better go grab a bag of candy. But uh, still, I was like, damn. I wonder what holidays consist of, because let's put like Halloween with Valentine's Day and Easter. Like, I wonder what those three together. Well, honestly, you probably don't even need to add Christmas. I was going to say you could add Christmas, too. But Uh, the four of those must be three fourths. That has to be. three. Oh, for sure. Probably, maybe even more, like probably upward, like maybe like ninety percent. I could see. Right. I don't know. Now I'm now I'm intrigued to find out of right. how much candy is is bought. Then it would make more. I guess that's probably a good thing that we're just buying a fourth of our candy in in one one time of the year. Right, exactly. It'd be bad if Halloween Halloween's actually accounts for only three percent of the candy that Americans <laughs> buy, and it's like, oh no. But you would think that Halloween is a a big time for eating candy. Nope, it's basically just the norm. (laughs) We're shoving bite-sized Snickers bars into our mouths 24-7, 365 here in America. Yeah, Arbor Day. That's a big one for me. Arbor Day. Arbor Day. (laughs) What's the the Reese's Cup for Arbor Day? It's a tree. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> there you exactly. go. But like not a Christmas tree. Like well, a, yeah. Was, like a fern. Like a fern. Of course. The we all look fern. the same anyway. We got we just go. picked up the pumpkin one. I saw the pumpkin ones at Rite Aid, so I was like, I gotta grab them. Mostly because oh we talked gosh, about it last time. And I and I ate one and I ate one. And it's like it's, all these ones, I'm like, this is just like a mush. Like the the pumpkin isn't even that tough of a shape to make, guys. Like, come on. They get us. Pick it up. Care. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I mean, I don't care. I'll go in the same place. How are, how are we feeling today, my man? How you doing? Feeling good. You know, Halloween's tomorrow. After this, I'm going to go for a run and finish my night off with a spooky movie. So uh, that's how I'm You know what you're watching my... yet? Yeah, I'm watching Rocky Horror Picture Show. I've never nice. watched it before, so I'm going to watch it for the first time, which Solid. will be which will be fun. Yeah, I've never, as a musical theater person, I feel like I'm, I'm have a glaring, like, uh, like, you know, what's it called? What's that word where you're missing something? A glaring omission from my Halloween spooky movie experience. So yeah, I'm excited to go through that. What about you, man? How you doing? Uh, I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, I'm surprised you haven't seen it. I haven't seen it either, but like I'm not as I, I'm I'm shocked you haven't seen it. You'll have to let me know how it is because I need to see it. But I'm doing well. Uh second season of Mandalorian was released today. 
released at least the first episode. And so I'm pumped about that. I love that first season. I personally, I it's my favorite like Star Wars thing since the original trilogy. Like the, all the movies, I've I've enjoyed just fine, but I freaking love Mandalorian. Uh, I was I've always liked the like bounty hunter stuff in Star Wars. It's just very cool. Uh, and then also the ACC Big Ten Challenge games getting announced. Got Illinois and Duke, Ohio State, Notre Dame, Louisville, Wisconsin, Michigan State, Virginia, and North Carolina, and the Iowa Hawkeyes. So, so pumped all off season. I mean, like, I feel like every Hawkeye fan's been like, God, I hope we get a good ACC team. And I like, I was kind of thinking we were going to get Virginia, which would have been nice, but tough, but got North Carolina, which will be a good test too. They always have strong, low post presence and and plenty of guys to throw down in the post. So Garza is going to get a very, very big test there. Um, But it's awesome for the Hawks to get that national stage and, and hopefully we can show up and show out. We're heading on over to the pub, Jan. What are we sipping on? Are you having a beer before your uh, your run? I've read uh, that. I've read that post run beers are are actually very good. Right. Well, you know our recordings usually last uh, about an hour and a half, two hours. So I I am I am sipping on a PBR. You know, just giving myself the hell yeah the will to go on this Hawkeye night. So that's what I'm doing tonight. How about you, man? What are you drinking tonight? I haven't had PBR in so long. My dude, you have to. I know it's a classic. It's, it's it, it, like I miss it. It's one of those beers that's like not good, but like the nostalgia of it. You're like, God, it, I love drinking a PBR. Say that's how I feel right now. I'm yeah. talking to you, and I'm drinking PBR, and I'm like, I'm back in school. I, I'm, I'm just back. chilling. Mm-hmm. I'm just chilling. You I'm- do. You feel younger. <laughs> you do. You feel younger. Uh, but I just I got a new, a new little bar set. Got a little shaker, rock glass, rocks glasses. Bar spoon and all that. So I whipped myself up a, an old fashioned. Decided to, to go cocktail. Yeah. Getting real classy with it. I, you know, I want to pretend like I'm Don Draper and have a nice bar set and stuff. It's one of those things that can make you, you know, appear much classier than you are. Yeah. It's a classic. It's a classic misdirection. <laughs> they look at the He's old fashioned. Classic they, misdirection. They fail to look at the face behind it and you're like, <laughs> Oh my gosh. And they see that I have like 17 shirts and there's Manchester United and Iowa. And I don't know. He's, he's still a child. It's, it's fine. They're like, he's wearing basketball shorts at the bar. He is a child. <laughs> Dude, I, I remember I was talking to my buddy recently about how we like high school and probably even like the start of college just had the worst style in the world and would go Oof. to like any event wearing like Oof. basketball shorts and like a Nike shirt and like get another pair of clothes dudes like you bums we were horrible right it's terrible I mean I cannot tell you how many pictures I can't post of myself on social media from the good old days because of the khaki shorts combo with the polo I can't tell you how many <laughs> I can't tell you how many and oh my god like- dude and the and worst I thing too is like you look back and like you know in your head at that time you were like, like you were thinking like, damn, I'm looking fly. Like I I'm look, fresh I am ready to, to, to talk to some ladies. Like I am like ready to go. Oh my! I just gosh. got done watching friggin' Rob Deerdeck on MTV and I drank a Mountain Dew and let's fucking rock. It's Friday. Yeah, seriously. Oh my gosh, it was. It's so bad. I. And they weren't, you know what, like I, it's not that all khaki shorts suck. It's just that I was not 
big enough or strong enough or the khaki shorts weren't tapered enough for them to look good. So they were very much like baggy khaki shorts. Yeah. They, I remember wearing that. Like, yeah. I wore khaki like cargos forever too. Like just ooh. pockets on pockets. And like, what are you, why did I need so many pockets? I didn't, I didn't have any belongings. I was 13 years old. I didn't yeah. even have an ID. Right. At that point, it's just like, I guess we were always ready for the great adventure that would eventually befall us yeah. one day. <laughs> like I read I read the book Hatchet once and just decided I needed to be fucking ready for the wilderness at any second. And that right. required and that meant, you know, 16 pockets on a pair of shorts. Absolutely. I read The Hobbit and all of a sudden I'm like, I'm going on a great adventure, Gandalf. Let's do this. I'm not going to lose that ring. <laughs> Dude, great, great book callouts by us. Right, that was that was you, some good. You didn't stuff. get the Hobbit and the Hatchet uh, references, then go on over to your local library, do yourself a favor, fa- favor, and uh, man, I haven't read Hatchet in forever. Yeah, let's get to some sports. We could talk about dumb shit all night, but we eventually could. we we'd like to, you know, let people get on with their lives. I We're guess. gonna talk a little NBA right here. What do you think the Warriors should do with the number two pick? Uh, if you think they should keep it, who do you think they should go with? Uh, particularly if Edwards goes one, because I think if he slides, he, he's the obvious answer. So if Edwards goes one, who do you think they would pick? Uh, and then once you answer that, we'll get into maybe a sleeper in this draft. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> Edwards an obvious pick if he, if he slips to two. So let's say that he doesn't. I... This draft is so bad. I keep looking at it for any kind of like favorable, like really favorable reason for the Warriors to pick someone at two. And I struggle. I can't find anyone really. I think the only two options they have are to go with LaMelo Ball or to go with James Wiseman. And I'm thinking if they keep, so this is if they keep the pick, like James Wiseman would be a good pick because, you know, the one position they might not have like be great at is center. So, you know, you're keeping the pick and, and you get like a decent center who can, who can help, you know, keep it down in the middle while the splash brothers do their thing. But I mean, if you're keeping the pick, it's cause you want to make a move. So I'm thinking the move to make for them is the LaMelo ball pick, you know, have the splash brothers three, you know, start like, you know, building that youth along with the established talent uh, so I think they go LaMelo Ball if they do pick two, because if they're going to keep two, it must be for a really good reason. I just don't think James Wiseman is the reason for that. You know, I think LaMelo Ball, they, they would really have to, would I just surprise think, me. Yeah. yeah, it would surprise me, but I, I'm going, they trade down, you know, they save some cap space that they'll need in the future. You still get a decent prospect. I really like Isaac Okoro out of Auburn. Uh, you know, small forward shooting guard. I think that he would fit perfectly with them. They can get him later on in the draft, save some cap space, which they will need. You're getting Steph back. You're getting Clay back. You don't need, there's no, you don't need, and there's no rookie in this draft that's going to help you uh, win now and, or really whenever, just like a good piece to get somewhere. And I think there's good pieces, like decent pieces across the draft, but no great pieces that you need to keep the second pick. So I think they trade down, but if they do pick, look for them to pick LaMelo Ball and get the Splash Brothers three. <laughs> oh God, I hate that. I hope I hope that, I hope that nickname certainly doesn't happen. You know, I, I haven't thought about this before, but they could, you know, it, like, like they did kind of with D'Lo, 
you could take Ball instead of trading it, you know, right now and trading the pick, which probably isn't getting a ton. Like, you know, I like I doubt I doubt because even the Timberwolves have, you know, been reported to kind of be shopping around. Um, and I don't think like I don't think the Warriors are probably getting blown out of their mind with any um, offers for this pick because people know they want to trade it. Um, but it's just because of this draft, people aren't, it's not the normal number two pick, but they could foreseeably like D'Angelo Russell, take ball, let ball do his thing. And then you actually have an asset that has some tangible, you know, worth to it and then trade him as a player in itself. So yeah, I hadn't really thought about that possibility, but we've seen the Warriors do something like that before, which it, it, you know, they could do it, and I think they have with with Steph and Clay and Draymond. They have that that core nucleus to to do something like that. You know, as, as you said, we've talked about how, how underwhelming this draft feels for myriad of reasons, fair and unfair. Like you know, part of it we is we haven't seen James Wiseman, we haven't really seen Ball, uh, we haven't really we didn't really get to see Anthony Edwards even at Georgia. So you know, we didn't get to see a lot of the top prospects, um, and and even so, they they aren't the you know, greatest prospects in the world. I, I think Edwards and Ball could be good, but I just, I agree with you where I'm just like, how do you not trade it? I, I think, I think the Warriors could still be winning titles right now. And, and they still could maybe next year if they had never signed Kevin Durant. They were so, so good when it was Steph and Clay and just the depth. And I think that's what they need to get back to. And, you know, it, with that, it means putting the ball in Steph and, and Clay's hands. So ball and Edwards aren't going to, I guess Edwards maybe is a player who could, who could be effective without the ball, but yeah, I just think they need, I think they need more players. I think they need more role guys. I agree with you. I think Isaac Okoro would be a terrific pick for them. I even think, you know, you talk about James Wiseman. I think you could trade down and take Anika on on Kongwu from USC who yeah. is, a little bit of a smaller, maybe a more modern NBA center. And some people even who just think he's straight up better than Wiseman. So I, I think I think there's no reason to keep it. But now I'm kind of interested in that if, if, if they would do the whole like, let's take ball, show him off, and then trade off the new car. But we'll see. Jan, any sleepers in this pick It's or in this draft? It kind of – it's a dual thing of like it's tough to pick a sleeper because it's a tough – draft because you know it's such a an underwhelming draft but at the same time it, that almost makes it easy because you're like well we don't think much of anybody here so if they do anything right surprise exactly i mean this is the sleeper draft this is the sleeper draft everyone's a sleeper they're all sleeping they're all sleeping yeah. in the court and nobody wants well, them we're certainly sleeping on them at least yikes but uh i'm gonna go with a you know with a familiar face uh michigan state junior power forward center xavier tillman is the one that i'm looking at really you know the one thing that you know obviously against him he's very limited on the offensive side of the ball which you know you don't really want nowadays per se you know obviously he still can be very good, but the offensive side is definitely something that's lacking. But he was the Big Ten's defensive player of the year. He has a really high basketball IQ, has already shown that that IQ benefits him on like on the ball defense and off the ball defense, which is really important to, for the transition for a defensive player to the NBA. 
He's six eight. He's two hundred forty five pounds. Honestly, he strikes me kind of like a Draymond Green type. You know, so I think people could if he falls with the right team, like Draymond fell with the right team. I think also Draymond went to Michigan State. Just saying that as well. I think that I think that it could be really good for whoever gets Xavier Tillman. And here's a fun fact. He joined Tim Duncan and Bo Outlaw as the only NCAA players on record to average at least 10 rebounds, two blocks, and three assists. So he's even in the record books a little bit. So I think Xavier Tillman, junior at Michigan State, not an offensive player, but we love to see defense, and I think he can transition well if he goes to the right team. Absolutely. I, I think that's that's a, a great a great call. Um, and, you know, a guy who – as you say, limited offensively in in the sense of he's not going to go get his bucket, but a guy who's shown he can hit the three in college and at that size and that athleticism, certainly someone who you're like can defend multiple positions, um, possibly in the NBA one through five. And if he can keep on working on that three and, and just kind of be, you know, a D and three guy at, at the four, that's, I think he's perfect for that role. And uh, as you say, with Draymond Green and, and, guys that have been coached by Izzo, they they kind of have a different mentality a lot of times. They get it done. Um, I kind of was thinking in the same sense. I, I love that pick because I, I, I see where it came from, and mine came kind of from the same place. I went with uh, a, a Big Ten center as well, Daniel Oturu from Minnesota. 6'9", you know, used to be kind of an undersized center, but perfect for the modern NBA. He has that quickness to guard multiple positions, block machine, I think there's some improvement on the pick and roll offensively and defensively for him to to make um, and, and where he could improve. But if he does that, I think he could make a real, real impact on a team uh, as a guy, kind of like a John Collins for the Hawks, um, somebody who, can, who just athletically and with size can impact the offensive side of the ball and then just defensively be a monster. So uh, certainly a sleeper, but I think both those those dudes are, are people who would be massive pickups. Um and as you say, like in this in this draft, it's how much value is how much value do you lose from pick one to fifty? Um, we could see Tillman and Oturu making as much of an impact as Ball and Edwards, but we shall see what happens in the upcoming NBA draft. Yeah, I mean, we're just here to tell you, Big Ten picks. That's what we're here for, always. Big Ten picks is what we're here for. I swear, we're not homers all the time. Not all. We the are time. homers. We are. I mean, you know, look at us now. We haven't we haven't even talked about Iowa's loss yet. Yeah. <laughs> hey, we haven't talked about Bayern or Man U. We've done really good. We've done really well, guys. We'll get so. there. Speaking of Bayern and Man U, why don't why don't we get there, Jan? Why don't you take us over the action in groups A, B, C, and D in the Champions League? Right. Well, Group A, traditionally the team with the Champions League winners in it, and that is where Bayern Munich find themselves. They started off the group stage with a strong 4-0 win over Atletico Madrid. The over-under against Lokomotiv Moscow was ridiculous, but they only beat them 2-1. to And I thought they were going to start all their subs, and I, only, I got to watch the game kind of halfway through. That was not the case. They started a really strong side. Uh, but a testy result. It's hard to play. We've talked about it. it's hard to play these Eastern European teams. They, they, uh, you never know what they're going to bring. This, and was this seen, game in Russia? This game was in Russia. Yes, I believe so. Going plus, just like any away, any away game in Russia, it's 
it's just tough. Yeah, it's tough. It's tough. It's tough. We've seen it with Shakhtar already within their group, in which I'll talk about. It, 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 I don't know. There's something brewing over there. And I don't mean to sound anti-communist or anything. I'm really not. I just mean, like, it's hard to play in Eastern Europe. It just really is. Uh, so, Bayern, Bayern beats Lokomotiv Moscow. That was a, I don't know why that <laughs> came out of oh, my I mouth. Take that, Eastern Europe and oh. communism. Take gonna that. We're going to generalize the fuck out of you guys oh my gosh i'm so sorry to all our eastern european listeners i i really mean nothing i just mean our biggest base it's our biggest base really why did you do this i'm saying it's hard to play with them it is it really is it's always difficult that's so funny lomachenko's gonna come for me now he's he's tired of he's tired of hearing us bash on him they're all gonna come for you you oh god that's several countries in eastern europe Oh gosh! Oh and my two God. of them, Ukraine and Russia, are quite large. Yikes! The union of wanting to kick Yannick's ass. All right, Bayern Munich beating Lokomotiv Moscow two to one. You know, it was a it was a testy result, but like they got the win, which is what what was important. They were dominating the whole game. They just couldn't find the goals they needed necessarily. The other game, Atletico Madrid was supposed to get back on track with a win against Salzburg. They did, but in a 3-2 thriller. I mean, Joao Felix scored a brace and the winner late on. It's just clear that Atletico Madrid is not playing with the same defensive tenacity that we're used to seeing. And and they're going to have to figure that out, both for the La Liga's sake and for the Champions League's sake. But for now, they're second. That's what matters. Bayern first, Atleti second, Lokomotiv and Salzburg tied with one. In Group B, what is happening, Matthew? What is happening in Group B? Who knows? Because Shakhtar lead the group with four points after drawing with Inter Milan nil-nil. I mean, we saw it in the first game. Gladbach and and, and Inter uh, tied in the first game, and we thought, wow, what a result. And we saw Real Madrid lost the game to Shakhtar, and we thought, wow, what a result. But, you know, that happens sometimes. But now it's happened two straight games. In this match day... Gladbach, uh, uh, Gladbach ties with Real Madrid in a 2-2 draw. Inter Milan can't score and ties 0-0 with Shakhtar. I mean, both results completely out of nowhere. Uh, it, it was crazy. And 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 honestly, Madrid were 2-0 down until like two goals in the final five minutes by Benzema and, and Casemiro <laughs> saved them. You know, it, like, and truthfully. And, and, and they are... They are last place in this group. They are last place in the group. Real Madrid have never failed to advance from the group stage. So this is a big thing to find out because it's not that two games make the difference, right? And it's not it's not necessarily that, right? But, you know, Gladbach, Inter Milan, they're also there. And they're also teams that have showed they can get the results. So Real Madrid's going to have to beat one of them, and they haven't shown us that they can do that yet. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. Gladbach showing a lot of heart. Really happy for the Bundesliga side. They showed up against Madrid. They showed against Inter Milan. Two draws from two tight matches. If they can go in and show that Shakhtar is not the team that that they've shown themselves to be, you know, maybe Gladbach is a surprise uh, entry in the round of 16. You know, I, I, I have every feeling that Inter Milan will get back on track. I think Romelu Lukaku is too hot everywhere else to not start, you know, scoring and winning games for them. But yeah, it's going to be interesting to see who comes out of this one. But for now, Shakhtar leads with four points after a win against Madrid and a draw against Inter Milan. Group C is a lot less exciting. Yeah, and I got a question. What's up? 
Do you think a team like Real Madrid, who who is used to so much fanfare and like support and just being on the big stage and everything, do you think the lack of fans and the lack of all that is is affecting a team like that? I mean, maybe. I just I think they've they haven't had a strong identity for a little bit now. You know, I think ever since Cristiano Ronaldo left, they have struggled to find a strong identity. And so I, I do think probably a little bit like it, if they were playing in the Santiago Bernabeu, would they have tied a game? No, they would have won. Of course. That lack of identity be covered up a little bit more. It would be covered up a yeah. little more, but that that's the problem. I mean, no team performs poorly two games in a row to two teams they should beat without having problems that extend past you know, the lack of fans. And we've we've seen every other team perform with lack of fans. So I, I don't give them that. It's funny, too, because in this season, as we talked about the El Clasico last time, if Real Madrid had one point in a group stage and, you know, three points off the lead, two bad games in, in, to start the, the group, but in between those games, beat Barcelona 3-1, I think most seasons we'd give them a little bit more, but we'd be like, oh, well, you know, they beat Barcelona 3-1. I know they struggled these early games, but you don't do that in the Camp Nou and and not get out of the group. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like the, the, that game is just – it just doesn't have – again, it just doesn't have the same kind of power to it as normal. Like, it it, it, it isn't carrying the weight that it, that it does. Right. We have two good teams. Like, they're still good teams, but they're so inconsistent that Real Madrid's winning the Clasico and, and shit in the bed in Champions League, and Barcelona's doing the exact opposite, which you'll talk about. And and uh, who knows what's going to happen with those two teams. I mean, honestly, Real Madrid might win La Liga, and Barcelona might win the Champions League despite finishing, like, eighth in La Liga. That could happen, like, in all honesty. Like, who knows? Real's going to get kicked out of the group stage while Barca goes wins it. Back in La Liga, Real win it, and Barca gets 10th. They don't even get you. Yeah, that would be hilarious. But, um, yeah, I mean, we'll see what happens. Two games in, but, you know, already Group B looks like the the group to watch uh, early on. In Group C, things are a lot less exciting. Man City... You know, they have the group that they should win, and they are winning it easily. They win against Marseille 3-0. Olympiacos grabbed a surprising win against Marseille. People were wondering, can they do something against Porto? You know, provide like a shock second place. They did not. Porto dominated them, beat them 2-0. Man City laid with six. Porto second with three. Olympiacos still has three, of course, from that first win, but are behind on goal difference and head-to-head. I think it's hard for Marseille to find a way back as the only team without three points in this group so far. Surprising considering Marseille is like a decent French team. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's Man City and Porto. Looks like it's down the stretch. Maybe Olympiacos can do some shocking, but I don't think Man City even loses in this group with how these teams have looked. So let's move on. Who cares? Group D, much more exciting. We've got Liverpool, Atalanta, Ajax, and Midiayant. Uh, So... You know, we were wondering what's going to happen. Obviously, Liverpool winning on an own goal last week. So it was very, you know, hard to hard to be confident in them. But they did get the win. Atalanta, uh, you know, beating Midiayand, obviously. Well, in this game, Liverpool won 2-0 over Midiayand. Hata scored for his new team once again. And Salah scored late on to cement the victory. So they topped the group with six points currently. And that is because... Ajax and Atalanta played a thrilling 2-2 draw in this match day. Ajax were actually 2-0 in the lead. 
behind Duzan Tadic and Vernon Traore, but Atalanta bite back with that man, Duvan Zapata. We thought, is he going to move? No, he's home in Atalanta, and he is balling for them once again in the Champions League. It's going to be an interesting group to watch. You know, Liverpool, top of six. Atalanta have four. You know, Ajax have the one, though, and that's that's important for them because, let's be honest, all of these teams are going to have at least six points. Midian's not winning a damn game. If Midian gets a point against any of these teams, that's the team that's not making it out of the group. Like that's yeah. how that's how <laughs> it is. So you can assume that everyone has at least six points. So you do have to have those performances. So a tie against Atalanta now, considering Atalanta doesn't do something against Liverpool, you know, really makes it good. And same thing, Liverpool are top right now, but if they lose to Atalanta. And Ajax beats Midian, all of a sudden, Atalanta's first, and Ajax is only two points behind them. So, like, it's really, with that bad team, like, and there are always one bad team in the Champions League, but it's hard to fathom just how much of a difference there is between the three teams in Midian. Like, it's not fair, you know? It's like you and me suiting up for a team and playing and playing those those guys, you know? we. We might those look guys, good. Those guys have no chance. Those guys have no chance. Absolutely no chance. Yeah, we might look good on one play, but then we're gassed. We're absolutely gassed. So, uh, you know, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens with those two guaranteed wins for all the teams. And who knows? I mean, I'm saying that now. If Midian gets one point, it, it will be a win for them. So they're going to fight for it. And there might be a time where any of these, I mean, any of these teams come out and don't do what they're supposed to. And that might be enough for them to grab the point and send a team home. And that's enough for Midian. So, like, I hope that they do. I hope they fight and be that backbreaker for a team that sends them to Europa League. But we shall see Group D for now still in Liverpool's control. Yannick just wants Liverpool to get knocked out. He's scared of them. I like that Group D just became uh, just a, a, a wonderful celebration of Midian-Yan. Uh, but no, I, I mean, I agree with you that IX, I think that IX collapse at Atalanta is I mean, you're up two Oh at half. I think they needed those three points. I, I don't see any of these teams catching Liverpool and, and after IX dropping that to Atalanta, I think, I think Atalanta has got the edge on them, but we shall see. And yeah, man, I, I, that's, that is kind of the fun thing about the, the poor team though, in the group. With Midianian, because as you say, like a Midianian can can get a tie if they can get you know a, a, any sort of result, it is going to be a massive thing for them. Like they're not they they know what they you know are are there to do and and what their expectations and realities are. But uh, yeah, it makes it makes for some exciting football because they are going to give it their all. But those are the first four groups in the Champions League. I will take over now as we look at the back four groups. Group E. We've got Chelsea and Sevilla. Chelsea have the group lead now after rolling by Krasnodar 4-0. And Sevilla is level with them at four points. But they were in a much tighter affair, beating Ren 1-0 with a Luke Dion goal in the 55th minute. We've kind of expected this to be a Chelsea-Sevilla battle from the start. Still looks that way. Uh, Ren has played well in, in, in Ligue 1 this season and, of course, did play well against Sevilla. But... The fact they dropped those points against Krasnodar to start, I, I think, is their undoing. I, I think they would have had to get those three to really challenge Sevilla and Chelsea. Um, so I think it's still a battle between those two, and we'll see who can get the edge. Chelsea right now on top because of gold differential. Group F, tight group, kind of a, a low-key group of death. I, I liked this one at the start. Lazio, Club Bruges, 
Borussia Dortmund and Zenit Saints St. Petersburg. Just kind of the the amount of quality between those four opponents had this group looking appealing right from the start. Club Bruges, probably the one that everyone expected not really to compete, has been keeping up the surprises by getting a tie with the Roman side Lazio, uh, keeping them both at four points and atop the group. Dortmund bounced back from their match day one loss with a 2-0 win over Zenit, but did need a late PK and stoppage time goal to make that happen. So not the most convincing start for Dortmund. It, it you know, it, Club Rouge again off to a great start, but it really seems unlikely that they can the keep pace with. Honestly, even Saint Zenit, Saint Pete's. St. Petersburg, let alone Lazio or Dortmund. I think Lazio is going to win the group just because Dortmund hasn't looked as sharp as, as normal, but I do think it's going to be Lazio and Dortmund still moving on. Group G had one of the most anticipated games of the group stage this weekend. It was Barcelona and Juventus. Jan mentioned how poor Barcelona has been in La Liga and how good they've been in the Champions League, going on and getting a 2-0 win in Turin. Coincidence or not? Happened just after after the uh, announcement that the president of Barcelona and the board would be leaving, seemed to uh, maybe reignite Leo Messi in that Barcelona uh, side uh, a little bit. Uh, it's tough yikes. to say. It's tough to say yeah. they didn't they didn't look at least a little more enthused, um, which is kind of sad. Like, come on, guys! But uh, I, it is nice to see Barcelona playing well. But you, you would like a bunch of grown men to maybe hand a little bit differently, but nice win for Barcelona. It was a tough day for Juve. The, the Alvaro Morata always offsides as is kind of per usual for him, but particularly tough day considering three goals were called back because he was offsides. Didn't have Ronaldo, but you know, even with those excuses, there's, there's clearly cracks in this team's ability. We were expecting them. I mean, we were expecting the challenge for the champions league last year. Of course, the disappointing loss to Lyon. And right now I don't, think you can really i mean juve against Bayern. okay good luck boys i i I don't i don't see the gray ladies celebrating much in that one but it it is still a two-man race in that group barcelona clearly with the stranglehold on it now i think will win and juve will join them in the knockout round and group h it's another happy day for manchester united and group h they again play they're maybe they're just like barcelona just playing their best in the Champions League, which right now I will take it. I think it's, uh, you know, it hasn't been two great performances from one, you know, minute one to minute 90, but two great results and hard to argue that two, that anybody has two better wins so far in the Champions League over two teams that made the semifinals last year. Uh, 5-0 win was their biggest Champions League win since 2013 when they won, when they beat Bayern Leverkusen in the group stage 5-0. We went on to the quarterfinals that year, Jan, and lost to you guys, which I'd take that this year. <laughs> but uh, PSG started kind of slow against Istanbul, but eventually got it going just because kind of like Midi Jan, Jan, Istanbul is just completely overmatched in this one. Um, we have talked about how good Turkish teams can be, but I think Istanbul is not not quite the same caliber as, as the Galatasaray or Fenerbahce of, uh, of old. Um so now the question becomes, I mean, I, I think Manchester United has to feel confident about moving on, and I think they should go for the, the lead. Um, they should expect six points from Istanbul, which would put them at, at 12. Um, and so the question becomes, can Leipzig maybe give PSG a run for their money and get a little revenge for last year, knocking them out? I don't see that happen, and I kind of I, – I hate to get optimistic and pick Man U. I still kind of lead 
on PSG maybe making making a run because I worry about the consistency of United's form. But uh, I do feel confident in, in United moving on to the knockout round, which was not quite the case when, when the group was announced. I was, I was a little worried we'd be playing Europa ball in, in January, but so far so good through two games and uh, Champions League off to a great start. Yeah, I mean, really exciting all around. You know, obviously that Man City group is ridiculous, but other thing, everything else is really exciting to watch. And uh, yeah, I think I, oh, I just hope Ole can take some lessons from his Champions League success and bring him to the Premier League. My goodness. I mean, real. He's going to get fired, and the answer is right in front of his eyes. It truly is. I just, oh, man. I mean, here's the thing. If Here's my question for you. If Manchester United, let's say they make, let's say they make the semifinals of the Champions League and lose to Bayern, right? Let's say that's where they go. But they finish 10th in the Premier League. Does he oh, keep be, his that'd job? That'd be horrible. I mean, I don't... I don't know. I mean, I would be upset with that finish, but I don't, I mean, I'm not that, I'm not that worried about the premier league right now. Uh, I've seen menu in, in more dire circumstances That's and, true. and I was expecting a slow start. Like they, it's, it's just such a weird season that if menu would have came out and gotten five wins in the premier league, I would have been shocked and, and worried also about the burnout. So I, I, I expected kind of a slower start. Talk to me when there's, you know, 18 games played, 15 games played. And if they're still in the same position, then I'm definitely getting worried. But, but no, as far as your question's concerned, I, I think I'm disappointed in that season because more so it's one of those things where it's like, as, you know, a club like Manchester United, a club like Bayern Munich, you don't want to just compete in one competition like you're expecting to compete for every trophy it's it's not just like oh well we did well in the fa cup like we're not we're not a mid-level we're not southampton that's like sick we made a semi-final run to the fa cup like that, that that's not a good year for us so you have to compete for each trophy um especially with where the team seems to be heading you know yeah i mean in all honesty our teams are the lakers of our respective countries and respective leagues I mean, they are the team to beat in over history. So, yeah, I, I definitely agree. We'll see what happens. Obviously, lots of football to play still. But, yeah, exciting Champions League, and it's only two games in. There's a lot to happen. There's a lot. And we will, hopefully, next time around, see Cristiano Ronaldo against Lionel Messi. Ah, so much fun. <laughs> All right. Shall I go on to another sport, my friend? Jan, I think it's time to talk a little UFC, big big fight for Anderson Silva this weekend. Why don't you take us through some of those fights on the card and and possibly his last fight? Right. I mean, uh, this one snuck up on me. I'm not going to lie. I was doing notes and I was like, oh, right, 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 right. Yeah. I was like, I mean, it makes sense it? considering last weekend and stuff. But like, yeah, it did. It was I was like, shit. Yeah, because I, you know, the the first two fight nights after a big fight, you know, is it, like not that nothing's happening. There's like one good decent bout that's like between ranked fighters. That's been it. But yeah, I mean, this one's one to watch. But yeah, let me go through the top five of the card. You know, at the bottom of the card, we got the first match, lightweight battle between Bobby Green and Thiago Moses. Green, an, ex- an experienced American, 34 year old fighter, 27 and 10 record. He has three straight wins in 2020. Moises, on the other hand, a Brazilian 25-year-old fighter. He's in the middle of his prime. 
He's got a 13 Ford record and he is skilled at the submission. It's kind of hard to take a, a winner here because you, you think you go with a 25 year old over the 34 year old, but green is favored in this one in, in the betting world. And I, I'm also taking green. He's got a hot streak going. Age could become a factor here. Moise is obviously going to go for the submission green, not ex- especially um, he's not especially vulnerable to the submission in his career. So I'm not expecting that to be a factor really, but yeah, I mean, Moises as, as a fighter in his prime, he's you're always looking for that fight that kind of turns the tide for you. And this could be it with a win over Bobby green, but I am going with Bobby green over this one in the first match of the main card. In the second match, we have, my goodness, we have Maurice green, just a joke of a fighter versus Greg Hardy. I mean, can we stop giving Greg Hardy fights that we know he's going to win and then he can be like, I'm Greg Hardy. I'm a good fighter. Like, I'm sick of it. I'm sick of Greg Hardy. I, I cannot. It so much. It's the worst. It's the worst. I, I would rather the Astros have won the World Series than see Greg Hardy in another fight. Truthfully, I'm sick of it. I am absolutely done with it. But Greg Hardy... He's a big favorite here. He comes in six and two. One last time out against Jorgon de Castro. He has yet to be knocked out. You know, Green is nine and four. He won uh, in in the submission against Jan Viante, uh, which snapped a two fight losing streak for him. They're both hard strikers. Green usually lasts the distance. Hardy usually looks for the TKO. Look for Hardy to to knock this guy out in the first round, second round, and that's probably going to be the end of that one in the heavyweight bout and. Hopefully it'll be over soon so we don't have to watch Hardy for more than, you know, 10 seconds. That's what I'm hoping for. You want to know how much a piece of shit Greg Hardy is? <laughs> no, tell me. Almost, tell me. He was almost, I mean, we know all the other reasons. But just to add to the, the amount of shit that he is, he was almost the first heavyweight fighter to ever miss the weigh-in weigh, weigh cut. Like, for this, over? For this for this, yes, for this fight oh, this weekend, my God. he weighed in at 266 and a half pounds and was over, which would have been like, I guess they he, they gave him an hour and he shedded it and got down to 264 and a half. But he would have been the first heavyweight ever to miss the cut because how do you do that? Like, dude sucks. Yeah, he sucks. I I agree. I hope nothing but the worst for him, honestly. Anyway, I would love I would love if Maurice Green would go out there and knock him out. I would love that, but it's not going to be Maurice we'll Green. Be, we'll be cheering for you, Maurice. We'll be cheering for you. But you know what, though, Matt? The more fights that Greg Hardy wins, the better fighters he's going to face. And one of these days, he's going to face a real heavyweight that's going to knock him the fuck out. And I can't eventually, wait. Eventually, Dana won't be able just to give him shit to beat up and have us all watch and like want him to yeah I, right it'll be like here's Garzino Rosenstruck I have thought of that I'm like eventually he's gonna have to fight someone like can I how do I how do I get him in a, a octagon with Francis Ngannou because that's yeah all I want can there be like a make a wish thing can we make that happen yeah a make a wish the make a wish foundation kid his only wish is to see Greg Hardy and Francis Ngannou in the ring we won't even use a kids. We'll just be like all of humanity. We've been through a lot. We need it. We need to make a wish. Um, and also Greg Hardy sucks. So our make a wish is that we're not even wishing. We're not even like technically wishing, you know, physical harm on him. We're just, we're just, you know, wishing for a, a fight between someone who's really good at 
knocking people the fuck out. Right, exactly. There's the two are not necessarily there's correlation. It's not causation here. Yeah, so that's that's what I'm saying. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't want to watch that fight. But if he loses, I'll watch it on replay. I really, really will, and I hope he never comes back. Anyway, the next fight on the card, kind of interesting. It was supposed to be a middleweight bout between Kevin Holland and Mahmoud Muradov, but uh, for undisclosed reasons, Mahmoud Muradov is not going to compete. So Charlie Ontiveros will fight in his place against Kevin Holland. Ontiveros making his octagon debut at 11-6. He rides a two-fight win streak. Holland, a seasoned contender series vet, has three straight 2020 wins, including taking out Joaquin Buckley and Anthony Hernandez. You know, not a lot of analytics here considering the late fight takeover in Anaveros' Octagon debut, but look for Holland to win just simply on being more experienced in these situations. But, you know, Anaveros looking for a good debut. You never know what's going to happen, but I think Kevin Holland gets this done. Uh, but, you know, when someone takes over late, it, it does become kind of a who's who of, of what's going to happen. Throws, so. throws a wrench into some plans, certainly. There you go. There you go. Uh, fight number two, we've got a featherweight fight between Bryce Mitchell and Andre Feely. Andre Feely, obviously well-rounded combatant, loves to strike, powerful kicker. You know, Bryce Mitchell, a jiu-jitsu black belt grinder with wrestling history as well. He's very athletic. He really throws himself into the takedown. So very different fighting styles here. I mean, Feely, 21-7. and seven, He's looking to break into the rankings in the featherweight division. He's got wins against Dennis Bermudez, Miles Jury, Hakron Diaz. His losses, big names here, Max Holloway, Calvin Catter, and Yair Rodriguez. So he's fought some big boys and lost. But uh, Mitchell, on the other hand, has not lost yet. He is 13-0. He's looking to stay unbeaten. He's got wins against Charles Rosa, Matt Sales, Bobby Moffitt. It's just going to depend on how the fight progresses here. Uh, you know, both of these, at the end of this fight, one of them is going to leave as a ranked featherweight. And the other one is going to leave wondering where he, what he does next. So my guess is Bryce kind of goes in swinging. It's Halloween night. You're back in Vegas. Like, I I, I think you kind of go in swinging on this one. And, and Andre Feely, the way that he's going to win is kind of, keeping Bryce by a st- at, at, at a distance by establishing range and then really look using those powerful kicks to take, you know, to take the life out of him a little bit before using the strike to get him down. But I think Bryce throws himself into this one. I think he catches Feely a little off guard before the match can really start for Feely's favor, you know, kind of, kind of a, like a repeat of what we saw with Lomachenko, obviously different sport, but you know, I feel he likes to, likes to weigh you down. And, and I, I think Bryce doesn't give him an option to in similar this one. tactics. Similar tactics for sure. So I see, uh, I see Bryce Mitchell, the Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt, going fourteen and zero and beating Andre Feely in this one. But we shall see. And finally, the main event: it is Jamaican fighter Uriah Hall versus the legend that is Anderson Silva in the middleweight division. It is the final bow for one of the USC's best. You know, one of the best counter strikers of our of of all time, if not the best, one of the best fighters, one of the most storied fighters. You know, when when people when he was talking about his last fight for a while, we thought, you know, that's what everyone says. And still, that's what everyone says. MMA, UFC retirements are ridiculous. So who knows? But it does really seem like he's lost a step due to age and and it's probably going to be his last fight. So it'll be it'll be harrowing to watch for sure. Uriah Hall, an explosive striker. Silva's going to have to 
you know, put that counter-striking sneakiness to work in vintage form if he wants to grab the victory. You know, many people are taking Hall in this fight. He's favored at uh, minus 235. You know, that's hard to hard to swallow when you think about Anderson Silva, you know, and, and what he means to the sport. But it, it's true. I mean, Uriah Hall is very much in his prime, and Anderson Silva has lost his step. Uh, you know, I I would love to see a signature counter kick take it, TKO by Anderson Silva. That's what I'm hoping for. I mean, but it's hard to say if that's even possible. He's not fought since May 11th, 2019, when he lost to Jared Cannonier. And before that, he lost to Adonziah. And and granted, in the Adonziah fight, he showed that he can push Adonziah back. So, like, it, it's not that he can't fight with the big boys still. But it's it's just so clear that he's lost a step. And his game requires him to be really on top of that step, you know, because he's not, he's not like a sit-there-and-fight fighter. So, you know, we'll always remember him for his title fights, especially his two fights against Chael Sonnen, you know, wins against Dan Henderson, Rich Franklin. He's 34 and 11. He's going to end either 34 and 11 or 34 and 10. He's an MMA UFC legend. I think Uriah Hall probably plays the villain in this one, beats him in his final fight. But I would love to see signature counter kick TKO. Oh, gosh. Wouldn't it be nice? Wouldn't it be nice? It's, uh, you know, and it's, it's, I mean, I think somewhat impossible too with this retirement, you know, a week ago too with Khabib, you know, and it may, may still come back, but as of right now, you know, retiring. Um, and so you, you know, you automatically start kind of looking at, at these guys' careers because I think Anderson Silva has as much of a, an argument to be the greatest UFC fighter of all time as, as anyone. Um, and, and, you know, you kind of, you, you do start when you're like, man, does, is Khabib done? Because, you know, 29 and 0 and you, you, you go out on your own, you know, will of things. You go out as a champion. You go out undefeated. Since Anderson Silver lost that first time to Weedman, you know, six losses, one no contest, and one win uh, over Derek Brunson. And he, even that, that Adesanya fight, I mean, if those guys fought now, it, it wouldn't – that it would be a completely different fight. You know, Izzy's – world's better now than he was even back in february 2019 um so the guys i mean the guy's just 45 years old like it's it's an old old adage in sports but father time is undefeated you you just can't make up for for a loss of step for a loss of power for for those things that you just naturally lose um certainly one of the all-time greats i agree gosh i'd love to see him him win but as I said, I mean, as I said, one, one, six and one in the last eight fights, Uriah Hall is, is someone who's got a lot of power and who has been somewhat of a disappointing fighter himself throughout his career. But I do think he's got, I think he's got too much for, for what Anderson Silver has now, but it, it's been a great, a great career. And I do hope he wins. Yeah. I'll be going for him for sure. We'll be watching and, and rooting for him. And, uh, it, unfortunately, the, the veteran quarterback rarely goes out on the Super Bowl win. He more often goes out on the last game interception. So that's just like yeah. what it is. And it's, he goes, he joins Kansas City from San Francisco or the Jets and the Vikings from the Packers or Tampa Bay from Patriots. Yeah, I mean, it's just that, right. that ending is. Or he comes back and plays for the Wizards and does nothing yeah. and then he retires again. So exactly. that's like what it is. Yeah. That storybook so, ending is not. You don't really get it. You don't really get. I mean, I think you don't really get it unless unless you do what Khabib did and you walk away 
before probably your time, not your prime, but your time is up. You have to walk away before your time is up to walk away with that perfect ending. And these guys are the greatest athletes in the world. The reason they get there is because they're competitive as hell. So walking away before your time is up, whether you're the player you used to be or not, is is very difficult. Um, and and we've seen that with Anderson Silva. I mean, the guy clearly loves the sport of MMA um, and, and Brazilian jiu-jitsu and, and has not wanted to give it up, even through these losses and, and getting older. But a great career and should be should be a good fight. Jan, we're going to move on over back to some football college this time, starting with more of what is a, a mess in the college game at the moment. Oof. You know, we've seen every league really, you know, have some sort of COVID issue kind of directly impact play in one way or another. Um, and quite frankly, it's been impacting college football from the start. Houston wasn't able to play their first four games, but we all just didn't really quite pay attention enough to it until it affected Florida and Nick Saban and Wisconsin and now Trevor Lawrence. Um, and I do think that college football, you know, all those other leagues, MLS, MLB, I think, I think NBA and NHL for the most part didn't really have any mishaps with it, but, but all those leagues that did have it, they, they were able to get, get through it and, and power through and keep people safe. But I, I think college football is at the most risk, you know, because of the amateur part of it, because of the fact that there's just so many more teams so I think there is, is a real risk at, at this season right now. Um, it it kind of feels like a, a possible tipping point these next few weeks, especially Pac-12 starting to join play um, next weekend. So we'll see. You know, I, we all certainly hope this gets handled with care and passes with no major implications. Nobody, nobody wins by people getting sick. Um, so hopefully things will be okay. But it does seem like the Heisman race could at least take, take a shakeup with this. We got Justin Fields with a big game with Penn State this weekend. Talk about that a little bit later. Uh, but it's a big moment for him to, you know, make a Heisman statement and, you know, put on a big show, especially with Trevor Lawrence going to be out this week. You know, I, I think this is a very big, big opportunity for Justin Fields to take that Heisman front runner and, and kind of never give it up. But in the end, if Trevor Lawrence comes back for that Notre Dame game, and puts on an amazing performance, and they dominate, and he's just great in it, like back from COVID, takes down their biggest opponent from the year. That is about as a Heisman moment as you can get. So I like there's that that possibility for if Lawrence can come back for that big Notre Dame game. I think coming back from the COVID, like that just all that storyline, I think will take him and and he'll win the award. Otherwise, it, I think Justin Fields has a great chance to really run away with this award in, in what's been, you know, an underwhelming year. Um, but I feel like that starts, you know, most of years kind of start this way. How, how are you looking at the Heisman race right now? Right. <clears throat> I mean, I have very little faith that Trevor Lawrence is going to play against Notre Dame. And I mean, he not only has to, we don't know. Okay. So like he has to be out. He has to be out since his symptoms started, not since he tested positive. So that can be a couple days later than we thought it was. So, you know, thinking that he can play a week from tomorrow, it's a little, I I just don't think it's possible because he's also been showing mild symptoms. It's not like he was asymptomatic. So I think you also don't want to throw him out there, you know, as he's like wheezing, you know, and they have a good backup quarterback. yeah, oh, I don't think they. I don't think they can. I mean, like all this, all all of him coming back comes into if if they can go into the you know 
protocols that they have to. I mean, that, right? Absolutely. It's all, it's all. It's all if this happens. There's no. Right. I don't think. I don't think this. This isn't like an injury or a gray area where it's like, oh well, maybe he's feeling good on that leg. Like th- oh, yeah. this is one of the things where he, it's either cut or dry. But I, I, I had no faith that Nick Saban was going to be on the sideline against Georgia. And he that's also did. true. So that's also true. We'll see. I mean, we'll see what happens. I think my biggest takeaway from this is that we've already see it happen in the Big Ten. The Big Ten is already faltering. You know, we saw what happened. You know, Wisconsin, Nebraska canceled, not postponed, canceled. And that's what's going to start happening. And the Big Ten is in the Midwest. And you and I both know the Midwest is the hot spots right now of COVID. So more likely players are going to test positive there and more likely you're going to have just canceled games. So while I think, yeah, Justin Fields, you know, could he take over the Heisman race? Yeah, but like, who's to say Justin Fields plays four games this season? I mean, he might not play more than four games. So, well, I mean, that would probably come down to if he gets it because Wisconsin could have played this game, couldn't they have? No, they couldn't have. They had to cancel it. Like, they had so many. I mean, okay, granted, they could have, like, thrown enough players out there to to to, to I, play the yeah, game. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I didn't think they were affected. It I I mean I might have to read more on it, but it seemed like one of those things where they, they just didn't want to not play with their quarterback. Which I uh, get, but like in this right. season you kind of have to roll with those But punches. it's yeah, I think Wisconsin's a little different though because it, it it was like a fair argument because they had six or seven players testing positive and like they had to pause all activities because they didn't even know who was infected at that point. So they paused all activities for seven days, and that's what happened with them. It wasn't just the one, but I, I, I just think well, I knew. I mean, I knew it was more than one. Right, right. So I just it's hard to say who gets because Trevor Lawrence does have the he doesn't have to play in the Big Ten, which is where all these cases are happening. Where I think most of them are going to end up happening, and so it's going to be interesting to see for sure. I and like the the thing that I'm questioning is like how do the how do you rank this? Right. Like if Ohio State does have canceled games. Right. And the only team they end up beating of any significance is Penn State, who in their own right lost last week. So they lost that consideration unless they beat Ohio State. Right. Like for me, what I think is going to end up happening is that, you know, I think Notre Dame goes into that Clemson game. Trevor Lawrence isn't there. And if they can play a really good game and beat Clemson. And then Clemson comes around end of the year with Trevor Lawrence again and beats Notre Dame because they're going to see each other if they both go perfect. Other than that, I think then we see both those teams make the playoffs, honestly, like because then you can't, you know, they, they both have one loss and it's against each other. And those both those teams are perfect. Otherwise, I think that right, becomes- but they do. But they do consider they do put into play if a player is missing. So it, I mean, right. it would depend. It would depend. I mean, it would Notre Dame would obviously I assume I assume in this scenario, there's not four undefeated teams. Right, for there's the not committee four. to That's, pick. Right, exactly. I'm I'm thinking that that there's not on four undefeated because I don't think that Clemson win without Trevor Lawrence like gets them. I I wonder. I wonder that would be an, that would be an interesting thing if they beat Clemson without Trevor Lawrence and lose to him later. Where how much weight that would get with they were going up against other one loss teams like Georgia or. Um, you know, maybe maybe Michigan. They looked right. good week one. Um, so, I mean, yeah, it's going to be really interesting. And Big Ten, it's just hard to tell because, like, I know maybe it's just Wisconsin that got affected, but it, it, it's hard to tell what's going to happen in the future. But yeah, it's really the playoffs. I mean, we we talked about it all the time with all these COVID sports, right? Like, 
where does the asterisk happen? And the asterisk hasn't happened yet for me. The Lakers won the championship they deserved. The Dodgers won the championship they deserved, you know. Uh, But let's be honest. Whoever wins this year... It's there's going to be an asterisk. There just is. There just well, is. Here's here's the thing though. If if Clemson wins the national title and Trevor Lawrence wins the Heisman, is there gonna is anybody gonna look back on that asterisky? No, I okay. So you know what I mean? No, because I, I my, here's my argument. Because I think if if you say Oklahoma State wins the the national championship and Chuba Hubbard or Brock Purdy for Iowa State wins the Heisman, if those two happened in this weird hell season where things are getting canceled and, and what have you, then I do think the asterisk would get played. Then I do think people would be like, it was a weird season. But like, if Clemson or Bama or even Ohio State, like, if the teams who have already established themselves as the best teams win, nobody's going to put an asterisk with, with it. And I think player-wise Heisman, like the Heisman feels very ass, like it's going to be an asterisk. Like no, nobody is going to think this Heisman is as rewarding as other ones. But if it goes to Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields because of just the players they are uh, and, and who like we know them as, I think everyone's going to be like, well, they're still a good Heisman winner, you know? Right. I mean, yeah, there's definitely going to be some some bias towards past seasons with those players. And I, I think if Clemson and Trevor Lawrence won under normal circumstances where the teams in the playoffs are, are let's say, Alabama, Georgia, and Ohio State, you know, I, I, I think it's fine. But, like, what if Ohio State, you know, doesn't get to be in the playoffs because of something that happens to their team, you know? Then it's like, do you consider that Clemson win without an asterisk when you have to no, say Ohio State Cle- got knocked? Because it's Clemson. Like Clemson and Alabama, like these two teams have won national championships in the last week. Like they're they're those two are so established that it's like this isn't a weird run that we're like surprised about. Like Clemson, if Clemson and Alabama or Alabama win, it would be like, yeah, that's how we expected any any variation of this season to go. Like right, the winner wise. But Trevor so, like, Lawrence won't so have I don't to go think, through Justin Fields. Like he won't yeah, have that's, to go through. That's I I understand that. I don't think I don't think it's gonna look. Trevor Lawrence beat Justin Fields last year, so I think as far as like that question being a thing, I think you could like answer it in that sense of like who's better because of their whole high school Georgia rivalry. But I don't think I ju- I think those teams are just so good and have established themselves that like I don't think anyone's. I don't care who they play in, in the football because even if they don't play Justin Fields, they're going to have to play one another. And they've both shown that they're legitimate teams. Like we can say whatever the fuck we want about every other college football team and this college football season, this Alabama team and this Clemson team would be damn good teams every single year. Right. Yeah. I guess I, I'm talking about a situation where Ohio state doesn't make the playoffs because of a coronavirus related. Incident. No, I, I, so, I understand. Okay. I, under, I know. I understand exactly what you're talking. I don't, it, it that, Irrelevant. I like they. They still have to play Alabama, or or, or Alabama has to play Clemson, and there's still like I. Right. I'm not. Yeah. I guess. I think. I, I think. We'll, I think we'll miss out on not seeing the game, but I and like I think there will be maybe a little bit of like ah, could Ohio State have done it? But if like Ohio State and, and Ohio State wouldn't maybe have even the same benefit of the doubt. Like if maybe if maybe if Ohio State and and like Clemson doesn't make the playoff and then Ohio state gets to go and they beat Alabama. 
that one would feel not as I, I probably still now don't give an asterisk because of, they were expected to be a really great team, but like that one doesn't feel as solid as Clemson. Like if Ohio State wouldn't have to get through Clemson, right? Because this I Ohio guess, State team is the same team that Clemson beat last year, right? Exactly. I, I, I guess I'm I'm thinking of asterisks more less of like they don't deserve it and more of like when people talk about 2020s college football year that they don't remember that with the win. You know, like, for example, the Dodgers beat their unbeaten streak, and that's what's going to be remembered, provided this whole Justin Turner situation doesn't get out of completely out of hand. But, like, that's what we're going to – Lakers won, you know. They won in the bubble, fine, but, like, that's what you're going to remember. I think Clemson will be the winner. They'll be the deserved winner, and Trevor Lawrence will be the deserved Heisman. But if something happened where one of their big opponents were out, it'll be like, oh, yeah, that was a crazy year that, like, uh, you know, Alabama or Ohio State didn't get to go to the playoffs because they got fucking knocked out by COVID. Like, I, I just think that becomes the asterisk a little bit. I maybe, but Clemson's won two national. Like, they've done it. They deserve like, it still. It's it, like, so it's like so the story. Yeah, I mean, I guess if like, I mean, I I don't know. If that's a fair like lens to look at it because then like in that sense, uh, from my point of view, it would be like, wow, Clemson is just solidifying themselves as a dynasty. Like they overcame this whole pandemic and we're the better team the whole time. Like, I don't, I, I don't think, I don't think asterisks come to those guys. I was going to talk about some games. So let's Do get it. to those. <laughs> I asked Yannick about what his Heisman thoughts are and he takes us all over college football. I don't, he didn't answer anything Heisman wise, but you know, we got to talk other stuff, college football. Trevor Lawrence is going to win the Heisman. Iowa. All right, there we go. Iowa Northwestern have to talk about our Hawkeyes. Looking to bounce back after a bad loss to Purdue. Uh, Purdue without their head coach, but it was the Iowa coaches who looked greatly outmatched. David Bell dominating all day. Three touchdowns, not a single adjustment made to cover that guy. And you got even individual players. Smith-Marset, no catches, several drops. Just bad, bad stuff. Uh, I, I think Spencer Petras personally looks the part as the quarterback, but he's young. He's inexperienced. Like That's his, his first start. He's had one hell of an offseason. Uh, you know, for the first off season before you're going to be the starter and the coaches got to make it easy on him. Easy. Like early on in the game, help him out, dink and dunk it, make some easy stuff on him. And I mean, his receivers need to, too. Smith Marset can't be dropping four yard passes. It horrible, 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 but Northwestern, you know, they upset Michigan state week one, but I do think Iowa is the better team here closer than we probably like, but uh, Northwestern doesn't have quite the weapons Purdue does. And that was, kind of the difference in that one hopefully a sharper performance from iowa but i do think they'll win texas and oklahoma state you know a team we didn't mention and and whether we and and other people want to accept it or not okie state has the clearest path to that coveted fourth spot in the in the college football playoff an undefeated big 12 champion is not going to get left out like i think i think this year especially like if if you go undefeated i think they are like that's that's going to mean mean a lot just because there is so much in the air with the chaos of everything, that 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 tangible zero uh, on your record is going to go a long way. Aided by being at home again, just like they were last week against Iowa State, that was a real big win. Uh, Texas is the next big test for them. And if they can get over the horns like they got over Iowa State, uh, really the, a college football playoff berth is going to come down uh, to Bedlam, them, them and the Sooners. Uh, as for Texas, you know, Sam Ellinger, he had his own Heisman hopes. Texas had their own college football hopes. They've both been dashed very early. Three and two, tough start to the year, losing to TCU at home. 
and then losing the Red River shootout to Oklahoma in quadruple overtime. Uh, but, you know, I, I think Ellinger, I think he, he, he is a really good player, and, and it's more the guys around him that let him down. I, he needs – he just feels like a player that is going to make a big moment happen as a senior. Uh, tried to do it in the Oklahoma game and came up short. I think he does get it done this time. Uh, Oklahoma State 4-0, and, and that Iowa State win was impressive. But otherwise, they, they looked not all that impressive, uh, even though they're 4-0. So I think Ellinger and the Longhorns go into Boone Pickens and get the win over the Okie State Cowboys. And the last game of the week that we'll talk about, the game of the week, mentioned it already, Ohio State against Penn State. Looks a little less enticing after Michael Penix Jr. ran in that two-point conversion in overtime to get Indiana a 36-35 win over Penn State. Great performance by the Hoosiers and, and maybe a little bit of looking ahead by Penn State. Um, but nonetheless, you know, this is a game that should impact the Big Ten race and really the national title race. Um, we, we've talked about how Iowa State is the presumed favorite. We, we just were talking about how fields should be in the Heisman race and they should be in the college football playoff. Um, but Penn State still has an opportunity. Uh, initially, we talked about them maybe sneaking in even as a second team. I don't think that's likely now with the Indiana loss. But if Penn State can win this game and win out, they'll take that college football playoff spot. So I, they still have everything to play for even after that loss. This is a huge game for them. Unfortunately, uh, Penn State won't have their fans packed into Happy Valley, and they also will not have Justin Fields under center. So I'm going to go with the Buckeyes. Uh, but should be a great weekend of college football. And finally next week, the last power conference will join us, Pac-12, getting into action. Right, yeah, a lot of exciting things to consider. I, I agree. I, You just know Sam Ellinger is going to go in there and do something. I don't yeah. know. Like, you right? know. Like, it's like, you know just look is. at that game, and like you look at their three and two record, like everything, and you're just like, he's going to – he might not even have like a great game. Like it might be like five touchdowns, three intercepts, like – because he's just going to do everything, right. but he's going to make one of those plays late in the game and and get it done. Yeah, he's going to have four touchdowns, four picks, but he's going to win it in double overtime with the fifth touchdown. Like that's just what it's going to be. It's going to be like the worst, the most inconsistent, the Jameis Winston of college football performances. Truly, but uh, yeah, I mean, I I agree. I've never felt this way about a four and team that has a clear path to the playoffs where I feel like. I'm just like, yeah, for whatever reason, Okie State's going to lose. Like, I, I mean, they haven't looked you're like, great. You're like, yeah, they have no chance. Yeah. I I, uh, I mean, Chuba Hubbard's obviously the big story. They haven't looked great since game one. That they should have dominated, and they didn't really. And and I think, yeah, I agree. I think Texas comes in that one. I think that's a great – I think that's a great pick. And Penn State, I love the – I love the, you know, the – confidence they have going in they're like we don't want to play with ohio state we want to beat ohio state i love that you know that's how you got to play against ohio state and you know i think they hang with them for a little bit but eventually justin fields is gonna notice that this is the game to get you into the playoffs this is it this is the game so like there's no way justin fields doesn't perform unless he's not justin fields and then we discover something else so it's kind of like i i do i do find it if they lose this ohio state loses this game it says something about justin fields not necessarily about Penn State because I just think he he's so good. Like I, I don't see how Penn State, especially like you said, without the fans, which are the, their big help, really um, performing like that. We, if we I had a little think. more faith in that Penn State offense, and the Penn State offense is isn't bad, but I I just I mean because Ohio State's defense has some questions, 
And I mean, right, question right, marks, right, yeah. rightfully so when you lose Jeff Akuda and, and Chase Young. Um, so like points wise, you would think they can hang with them, but I, yeah, I, it just feels like Ohio state. It, it's, it's kind of how it always is with these two teams where it's like, Ohio state's just a little bit better at most of the positions. And that usually is how it plays out. Right. Exactly. And yeah, I, I, I think that's how it goes. I, you know, I, I would love Penn state to come in here and compete, but I, I think it's pretty, uh, done and dusted there. And as for the Hawkeyes, Oh boy, they have to show me something. I mean, after all the controversy in the offseason with Kirk Ferentz and after this awful performance in game one, you have to think if they continue this way that he's out the door, you know, eventually. So like I I I I hope that, you know, for his sake they bounce back and and can get the victory. I, I agree. Spencer Petrus looks like he can be great and you know, we have the pieces that we've, we still have the pieces we had at the beginning of the season where we have a good team. It's just, they had, they, they went out there and they didn't play. So I, I think, and the team, the coaching staff didn't coach. So I think that it, it looked, it looked like a team who had been through a lot of, uh, a, a tumultuous off season is what it looked like. Which they were for more yeah. reasons than most teams too. So I think, uh, that's either going to come together and we'll see them beat Northwestern or that's going to fall apart even further. And then, We'll see what happens, but hopefully we're, uh, we're, you know, gassing them up next, next week, uh, more than we need to. I'm hoping that's what happens.